0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Hey, very good morning to you on this Saturday the 20th of August. Today we are talking self-esteem in teaching. How do we get it? How do we lose it? And how do we protect it? good morning from a what has now become a very cloudy grey Gloucestershire we've had weather this week that really cannot make up its mind Um, we have been hot and sunny once again uh in the the late 20s early 30s degree celsius uh we've gone from that to thunder which is actually quite rare um, in my part of the world we don't get thunder very often um and then torrential downpours pause that in fact led to a power outage on, I think it was Tuesday, um, which I quite liked to be honest. Um, I didn't realise how much I would like it um, until it actually happened. And you know, that forced disconnect from everything, um, having the excuse to just get out my book and, and read rather than, you know, feel like I ought to be connected, I ought to be online. That was That was really, really nice. Um, So I did enjoy those 45 minutes when we had no power. Not that I am hoping that that has to happen perpetually. Um, I would very much like it to not happen again, particularly because we have seen in the news over the past couple of days threats that the UK is about to plunge back into recession. Um, You know, as somebody who graduated in 2007, uh, I am personally getting a bit tired of all of these once in a lifetime recessions that I seem to be living through. But you know we will we will just wait and see what happens on that one. We are talking self-esteem today. I want to talk about um, what it means, what it means for us as teachers, how we get it, how we protect it, um, and how we can lose it. And I've chosen that because, of course, it is for those of us teaching secondary. Um, throughout the UK it is exam results time, well certainly in England and Wales it is exam results time. We had A level results uh, Thursday just gone. GCSE results are coming out this coming Thursday. Um, good luck to all of those year 11, former year 11 students who are getting their results this week. Um, and I know a lot of teachers can tie their self-esteem into their students performance. Um, even those of us that don't teach secondary, as longtime friends of the show will know, I am lucky enough that I teach um, all phases from key stage two through to um, key stage five. So I teach year three right up to year 13, uh, which I love. And so for those of us who, who don't teach secondary, there have been SATs, there have been internal exams. You know, we have all sorts of, of matrices that our self esteem can be tied into, and by which we feel our performance is measured, but over which we actually have astonishingly little control. Um, and I kind of I, I want to do a a, a shallow dive, um, as I called my my show last week about Socrates and Socratic questioning. I want to do a shallow dive into um, self esteem, into how how we interpret ourselves um, as teachers, how much of our sense of self is tied up into being a teacher. Um, But before we get into that, I want to talk about something else that was in the news, the the UK news this week. And that is comments allegedly made um, before 2019 by Liz Truss about the British attitude towards work, the British working culture um is is the phrase that i'm seeing um i'm going to i'm gonna hold my hands up and do a disclaimer straight away i have not listened to the alleged leaked um audio so i'm doing exactly what i always tell my kids not to do and i'm proffering an opinion without going straight to the primary source (laughs) so i apologize for my hypocrisy um and I I recognise that you know all of the reports are saying that these comments were made before 2019. So I am also not saying that this is something that Liz Truss believes now. Um, I'm not saying that this is something that will impact policies should she um, win the the Conservative leadership. Um, I am just kind of reporting or giving my opinion on what I have read. So through secondary sources, through the lens of the the media, and I apologise if I get any of this wrong, and I will, you know, gladly hold my hands up if I do. But this is something that we see quite a lot. Um, it's something that we are told quite a lot in this country. This idea that in in the UK we don't graft in inverted commas. That's that's the word that has been used. Graft um that we don't have a mindset of hard work that we don't put enough of ourselves into our work and i've kind of i've let that sit with me for the few days uh like 3 4 days since um since this news broke and like i said this isn't a new thing you know this is something that we we see talked about all the time it comes up quite regularly somebody says that British people either don't want to work or they don't work hard enough. And for a start, I just don't believe that's true. I do not believe that that's true. Um, I am lucky enough, kind of in in my in my lives as a teacher, as an actor, just as a person living in the world. I'm lucky enough to have met a number of people um, from across the world. And I can't say that I have yet to meet anybody who lacks a desire to succeed, which I think is what um, these people are trying to get at. Is this idea that people should want success, or to be honest, even a desire not to work? You know, I. Lots of us, myself included, joke about how, you know, if we were to win the lottery, we would quit our jobs or whatever it might be. Um, But I think if I were to win the lottery, I'm probably realistically would not leave my school. I think I might I might reduce my hours. I would certainly reduce my hours. Um, I might even step into a voluntary position if I had won enough to, to not be paid. Um, I, would keep, I would keep the radio show going, I would still be here with you um, on a Saturday morning, I would still be tweeting, um, I would still be giving my opinions on, on professional development, on, on teacher progress, and I think a lot of people in a lot of different professions feel very similarly. And so I don't think that there is a lack of desire to work, <clears throat> excuse me, in this country. But let's just run a thought experiment for a moment. And let's assume that that is true. Let's assume for a moment that that people, and, and interestingly, this has, some of the lenses through which I've read this have tried to turn this into yet another London versus the rest of UK divide, um, because the, the the quote goes on to talk about how people in the capital have a mindset of wanting to work, of wanting to graft, um, whereas the rest of us don't. So I'm I'm kind of gonna not going to get into that, but let's let's run with this thought experiment that it is true. Let's run with this thought experiment that people don't want to work it's one thing to draw attention to that it's one thing to to say to go on record as saying or in this case she wasn't on record it was just a, a private comment it's one thing to say people don't want to work people don't have that mindset people don't have that mentality and to complain about it it's another thing to try and fix it and i think that's what i've never seen you know All of these people coming on and telling us, oh, people don't want to work. You know, we can't fill these positions. People don't want jobs. I have yet to see any kind of solution to that. It's the same as, you know, if we're in school and I turn around to my colleagues and I say, again, this is purely hypothetical. um, I turn around to my colleagues and I say, oh, my year nine class never does their homework. And I just moan about it. The moaning might make me feel better, but it's not going to make that Year 9 class do their homework. I need to figure out why they're not doing that homework and fix it. Because if they're not doing it, then there's a problem, and it's my job as the teacher to fix that problem. Similarly, if there is a mindset in Britain of people not wanting to work then it is the responsibility of those of, of those who are in charge of changing that of giving us an incentive to work and again this is something that i have been been thinking about and and it was that word graft that um, that set off this this chain of thought that, that we need more graft the etymology of graft meaning to work is Not completely clear, Um, according to the Online Etymological Dictionary. I am a linguist, so the etymology of words is always the first place that I go when I'm trying to figure things out. So uh, the Online Etymological Dictionary, that's etymonline.com, tells us that um, it's been used in British slang since 1853 to mean your occupation and it comes probably from the identical word a graft that means a ditch or a moat or a digging and that's from the 1640s and we think then it comes from the middle dutch haft which was the verb um, haven to, to dig and so graft by its etymology by its history Has this idea of hard physical labour. And that is the connotation it still has. I don't think that anybody hears the word graft in modern contemporary English and thinks that the person is talking about hard labour. But that is the connotation that it has kept. It's the connotation that we still have. So we're being told that we don't work hard enough, basically. And So once again, I come back to, well, what is the reward for working hard enough? Most professions, certainly, you know, the the jobs that I have had outside of teaching um, and certainly, you know, the jobs of my my parents, of, of my friends who are not teachers, you know, and of teaching, they don't come with bonuses for hard work. Some jobs do, some jobs absolutely do. Um, banking jobs come to mind as jobs that do have bonuses um, for, for for grafting, for putting that extra step in, for walking that extra mile. Although that phrase um, has a very loaded history uh, that I have written about, <laughs> if you wanna check that out. Um, and so if a person can do their job and do it well and get paid their hourly rate or their base salary or whatever it is that they get paid for doing that job and there are no extra incentives for doing more why do we expect them to what is that mentality is what i'm quite interested in because Those of us who are in what I would call regular positions, so those of us who are teachers, like most of the people listening, those of us who work in supermarkets, those of us who are cleaners, that idea of, of working harder and therefore earning more money is not a thing. It's not something that we can do. We are not going to become. I'm not going to become a head teacher by working harder. If I wanted to become a head teacher, which I don't, I don't think that that is the right the right role for me. And um, my hats off to everybody who is a head teacher or wants to be a head teacher because those jobs are so very difficult so very difficult, but that requires extra qualifications. So there is an element of work there, but working harder in my current job, working harder as a languages and classics teacher is not going to get me there alone. I need to do the extra qualifications, I need to have the experience, I need to go up through the ranks of middle management, senior leadership, headship. They keep touting this idea of performance-related pay, which would solve, in theory, um, this dilemma. So again, for those of you who are not teachers, who are new teachers, or just who haven't encountered performance-related pay, the idea is that teachers under this model will progress up the pay scale based on how well their students do in exams ridiculous as an idea in my opinion because as I alluded to at the top of the show I personally don't believe that we have as much control as we like to think we do over those exam results our job is teaching and learning you know everything is is put under this umbrella term teaching and learning but we only do the teaching part we do at most 50% 50% of this, of, of the work, of the teaching and learning. It's the kids that have to do the learning. I say to mine all the time, you know, I can't learn French for you. I learned it for me, but I can't learn it for you. I can give you the tools that I think you need to learn, but I can't learn it. And so by linking my pay to the work that the kids do, that puts a lot of pressure on those poor kids because they're going to know, children read the newspapers, children are on social media, they will see that their teachers pay is linked to their performance, that will put a lot of pressure on them, which is unfair in a system that already puts a lot of pressure on them, and it takes everything out of my control. So that doesn't work either. And so if Working very, very hard. If grafting is not going to impact my pay and it's not going to impact my progression, necessarily. Why do it? The answer to that, I think, is, you know, the work is its own reward. And I will tell you right now, I am actually a little uncomfortable. I'm second guessing everything that I'm saying right now because I feel like as a teacher these are not things that I should be saying and that's because we have this this mentality that the love of the job is enough that we should work hard for the love of the job and for lots of people that's true and I will be honest with you for me that's true I do work very hard and I do love my job I might moan about it occasionally I think we all do But I do love it and and I work hard because I love it because I want to be the best teacher that I can be. But I don't think it's right that we should expect that from everybody. and I don't think it's right that we should put pressure on other people to excel at their jobs because they should have to. To put the time in just because we think they should have to. I tweeted yesterday. Um, My my Twitter is at Mr. D. Lester, L-E-S-T-E-R, all one word, if you would like to follow my my random ramblings. But I tweeted yesterday about this idea of busyness, about how these days we laud busyness. Because I was watching um, Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness on Netflix. It was a very good show, actually, only six episodes. I watched all of them in one morning. Um, And it was it was kind of like those shows that I used to watch when I was a kid or those variety magazines you could get where it was lots of topics. Each episode covered a different topic and he was doing kind of like I'm doing today, uh, a shallow dive into each of them. So there was a topic about bugs and insects and there was a topic about there was an episode about um, junk food. And the episode that prompted me to tweet was about hair. which, you know, if you could see my head is, you will know, is not one of my priorities. But they would talk about hair kind of in antiquity and, you know, ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, ancient Rome. I like those things. So I was interested in that. And then in this exploration of kind of hair through the ages, they jumped to um, uh, the, the Renaissance and, you know, po- the post-Renaissance period. And... Jonathan asked the curator of the museum, why do these people have such elaborate hairstyles? Why do they wear such elaborate clothes? And the curator explained that it was a sign of wealth, it was a sign of um, luxury, of class, because it showed that you had three hours every morning, or however long it took, to get dressed. It showed that you didn't need to work. And that struck me and it struck me again this morning as i was planning as i was planning this little introduction to the show because it occurred to me that we still have those expectations we do still put a lot of value on how somebody looks how put together somebody is and that i think is a holdover from those older traditions of having the time you know oh look at him he can wear this very complex outfit look at her her hair can be two feet high because she didn't have to go straight to the mill this morning so she had the time and the financial resources to get ready and so we still have those those ideas that people should have the time to get ready you know you take care of yourself in the morning you get yourself ready and the people who do in inverted commas take care of themselves the people who do have their very shiny shoes who do have the perfectly pressed suit who do have the beautifully coiffed hair they are the ones that we assume are more professional ironically they're the ones that we assume work harder even though it is at least in my opinion, a hangover from a time when we didn't necessarily have to work hard. And then something changed. Then something changed and we started to value the graft. Now, again, I'm not a historian. Um, my knowledge of, of history kind of becomes very murky um, once France stops being called Gaul. Um, but I think that a lot of that is due with the Industrial Revolution and you know the the fact the factory owners had to entice people encourage people to work and so they then in order to get these people in so that they could have their profits they shifted the mentality to be working is a virtue working is its own reward and then you happen to get paid for it as well i think And so what we now have is this very interesting dichotomy, and again, I'm calling myself out here because I am, uh, my friends know that I pride myself on being a busy person. Um, I like to keep myself busy. But that doesn't mean that I'm a better person. It doesn't mean that I'm a harder worker than anybody else. It just means that I do more stuff. And that's all it means. So I kind of rambled on this for quite a long time now. Um, And Tim has texted in. Thank you, Tim, if you would like to text in, you can do so on the Podbean app. Tim was my guest. Tim has actually been my guest twice uh, in my very first show and then in the follow-up week. So please, if you haven't heard those, we are talking about children's literature. So you can go back and listen to those. We are available um, on popBean, on Spotify, everywhere that you get to your podcast so Tim texted in and said I feel like the metrics used by some to gauge graft are rooted in a belief that financial success is the result of hard work when we know that simply isn't the case we're a society haunted by its past where class structures and the ideological state apparatus favor those with inherited wealth and societal privilege Um, does a trust yeah so no Tim is Tim is absolutely right Um, It is this idea of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, this idea that you can work yourself out of poverty at the extreme just by working harder. And again, very few of us will be in a position where working harder will get us enough money to move into a different class system, for example. I'm not even sure that I will ever own a house. I'm 37. Um, like I said, I graduated into the 2007-2008 financial crisis. And I don't think that I will be a homeowner. Whereas, you know, all of the all of the memes that go around talk about the people in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s who were able to work minimum wage jobs and own a home, raise a family, all of that sort of thing. And there was no... Um, there was no targeted attack on them or you should be working harder. They worked, they earned their money, and they expected to be able to live on that. But again, somewhere over the last 60, 70 years, that has got lost. And lots of us now don't think that work is gonna better our life. We're not seeing those same financial rewards. We're not seeing the things that we were taught as kids would benefit our lives. And so we're looking at other priorities. And I can't blame somebody. If somebody wants to prioritize their travel, their kids, their TV shows, their games console, whatever it might be, if somebody wants to prioritize those things, overwork, if somebody wants to take what they believe to be a low stress, easy job, I don't believe that any job are easy. I think every job comes with its own stresses and strains. But if somebody wants to take a job that they perceive to be lower stress, so that they can devote more time to the things that they enjoy, the things that enrich their lives, because work doesn't enrich their lives, but other things do. I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think ultimately what I've what I've concluded from all of this is that we need, once again, to be less a society of judgment, less a society that thinks, "Oh, I have the right to comment on what somebody else does." He says, noting the irony of the fact that this whole twenty five minute segment has been me commenting on what somebody else had said, um, and more a society that goes, "Okay, fantastic, you want to work a lower paid." A theoretically lower stress job so that you can spend more time with your grandchildren fantastic you do you there's nothing wrong with that um, hopefully maybe one day that is a state that we will get to
0: this episode of teachers talk radio has been made possible with support from with group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslacgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
2: Hello! This week I'm starting a series on home connection speed and getting the best performance. Everybody wants the best performance for their devices at home. With more and more things needing the internet or a home network connection to provide interactivity and additional functionality, ensuring you can get a good connection is essential. Most people use Wi Fi as their home setup, so I'll start with this and also try and explain basically how a home network works. First, let's understand what devices are doing when you add them to your Wi-Fi network. Wireless fidelity, or Wi-Fi as it's commonly known, is a high frequency signal that's being invisibly transmitted around your home. If you have access to the signal, you can send and receive data. This is what your phone, laptop, Tablets, internet-enabled TV, wireless alarms, even some door locks and fridges are connecting through to communicate and most of the time, use the internet to add functionality to your ever-growing smart home. The more devices you have, the more demand is placed on your network to transmit data. Comparing your home network to the network of corridors in your school and throwing in some geeky tech words, bandwidth is the size of the corridor and dictates how much traffic or people that can be handled. Classrooms are the devices and the staff and pupils are the data the devices need. Using the school as a physical example of a network, during lesson time when everybody's in place, it's easy to travel around the network of corridors, and people or data can travel at normal walking speed, or faster if you're feeling the need to. On lesson change, or at break time, lots of people need to be somewhere else. Pupils need to walk slower, follow rules such as walking on a certain side or in a certain direction, doorways create cues, and the journey from A to B during this time can take considerably longer. This is due to the physical constraints of the corridor. It cannot get any bigger, so people need to move slower. Comparing this to your home network, bandwidth is the amount of data that can be sent at a given time. It's measured in bits per second, a bit being a one or a zero. That's binary, the computer's language. So a one megabit bandwidth means one million ones and zeros can be transmitted in a second. If you decide to look up your Wi Fi speed, you'll find some really interesting facts, but also risk being sent to sleep. A modern Wi Fi network on paper is capable of transmitting 1,300 megabits per Per second. That's one billion three hundred million ones and zeros every second. Oh wow! There are, however, loads of factors to consider. The main one being the number of devices sharing the bandwidth at a given time. Over this series, I'll be looking at what you can do to help you get the best performance from your home network. For now, I hope you're beginning to understand what's happening on your home network and why at busy times it can slow down. Today's takeaway tip is if you need good performance, then make sure other devices are not reducing the bandwidth that you are receiving. If this has giving you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech.
0: Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, Self-esteem is the focus of our show today. And that's why I opened um, with that discussion of whether or not we have this ability to graft. Because hearing that, you know, being told that you are not working hard enough, when you feel that you are working very hard indeed, that does affect your self-esteem. And self-esteem can be affected by all sorts of things. Um, like I said at the at the top of the show, many of us, i hope many of us, certainly me um do find i do find my self esteem impacted over this two week results period i do um despite the fact that logically, I know that a student's grade actually has very little to do with me because, like I've already said, I believe in the teaching and learning partnership, and I believe that I deliver the teaching, I facilitate the learning, but it is ultimately the student that does the learning, and there are all kinds of of factors that can impact um, what the student learns. Part of that is my teaching, obviously, but there are also environmental factors for the student, there are pressures on the student, there is the extent to which the student prioritises my subject over another, and all of those things will will impact the amount of time that they will put into revising for the exam that I, for whatever reason, am taking internal ownership over. And, you know, this has been a, a thing, certainly in the ten years um, since I made my transition from primary to secondary. Uh, results day has the results days have been um, quite hard for me. Even when I know that my results are going to be fine because you know I know that my kids work hard, I know that they put the work in I know that I've delivered the, the teaching that I should. I always feel a sense of unease when I check those results. It was made worse um, over the last couple of years with teacher assessed grades and centre assessed grades. So over COVID, it was deemed unfair for students to sit external exams. And so in the first round of lockdowns in 2020, teachers gave grades based on the work that students had produced over the year or over the two years of the course up until the point of lockdown. Um, During 2021, we gave grades based on work that had been produced under assessed conditions, uh, but not done during typical exam periods. And so because I was responsible for giving those grades, again, despite the fact that these grades were based entirely on work that the students produced and not on me, I still felt that their grades reflected on me. I still felt, and I still feel that their output, their grades reflect the quality of my work, and I do take a lot of pride in my work, you know I like to we all want to believe that we are we are good at our jobs, and like I said, I have never ever had a student um whose grade has made me question I've never ever been made to feel by anybody that my students' grades are below what they should have been, and that was my fault. This is something that I entirely put on myself. And I think that a lot of teachers can can empathize with that. I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves for the outcomes of our students because we care, because you can't be a teacher in the same way that you can't be a nurse or a doctor or anybody in a caring profession, if you don't care. And so I kind of wanted to do a dive this week. You know, now that we are in between the two, uh, the two results days, I want to do a dive into what self-esteem actually means, and what it means specifically for teachers. So obviously, first thing that I did was I googled self-esteem in teachers. And there were a few results which were what I was looking for, you know, about how teachers perceive self esteem, about how teachers can increase can protect their self esteem. But interestingly, the the majority of the results that I found, and again, the search term that I used was um, self esteem in teachers. I thought that was specific enough, but it was about how we could raise the self esteem of our students. So even even when I am looking for ways to improve what's going on in the mindset of a teacher. The majority of the work is focused on how I can improve that in my students. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not at all saying that's a bad thing, because raising our students self-esteem, making them feel good about themselves, making sure that they are confident to go out into the world is a
0: huge
1: part of our job. I know lots of teachers who would argue that it's actually a bigger part of our job than the subject that we teach, than the the content that we give them. But I was quite dismayed and I I did laugh at the irony of it, um, that I was trying to improve my own self-esteem as a teacher. And I was trying to look at how we as a profession can improve our self-esteem. And once again, we were kind of left behind so that our students could be prioritized. And I think that says a lot about the self esteem of teachers. The fact that we will prioritize our students. We should prioritize our students, I think. But that the students will always come above the teachers. And kind of the more that I do things like Teach Talk Radio, the more that I give talks to teachers, the more that I deliver CPD, the more I'm realizing my personal interests do sit with making sure that teachers are happy in their job, making sure that they are comfortable, making sure that they are their best selves so that they can give their best selves to their students. So already in in doing research for the show, I have felt my self-esteem attacked by being told that I don't work hard enough and attacked because even searching for self-esteem for myself brings up more on self-esteem for my kids so i kind of i stepped back a little bit from looking at self-esteem specifically for teachers and i looked up self-esteem generally and um, mind the the mental health charity um, they have got quite a nice explanation Uh, i will tweet out a link to this page in case you want to to check it out later on my, my Twitter handle is at Mr. D. Lester, L-E-S-T-E-R, and that's all one word. Um, they say self-esteem is how we value and perceive ourselves. It's based on our opinions and beliefs about ourselves, which can sometimes feel really difficult to change. And I like that. I think in a nutshell, that's what self-esteem is. And that's true. You know, self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. I also think that that's a little bit simplistic. Um, I think that that is probably an explanation that I would give to one of the kids if I were covering self-esteem in uh, citizenship, in PSHE, in tutor time, whatever it might be. That might be the definition that I use. So I did want to get a little bit deeper in defining self-esteem. And I remembered something back from my teach training. Um, when I did my teacher training, my B.Ed, we were taught that self-esteem was the gap between your idealized self and your the your perception of your current self and the bigger that gap the bigger the gap between how you think you are and how you want to be the lower your self-esteem and i remember my it was our rs tutor um who who told us that because we kind of did rs and citizenship as, as one module. Um, but she didn't, um, she didn't reference it. That was, just, that was just what we were told. So I wanted to look up if that was true. And I found quite a nice article uh, by James Mbuva. And this was published in the Journal of Higher Education Theory and Practice, um, volume 16, issue five, it's from 2016. And again, I will tweet out a link to this a little bit later on this morning so that you can check it out if you want to. Um, and James's article, very interestingly, it's about uh, self-esteem in teachers. It's called Exploring Teachers' Self-Esteem and Its Effects on Teaching, Students' Learning and Students' Self-Esteem. So this is perfect. I I read it and I was like, yes, this is what I want my show to be about. So uh, at the beginning of his article, he does define self-esteem. And he draws on Lawrence's 2006 um uh study which defines self-esteem as the result of as my tutor told me at uni self-image which is defined as the individual's awareness of his or her or their i'm going to pop that in mental and physical characteristics and ideal self which develops side-by-side with self-image, where a child learns that there are ideal characteristics he, she, they should possess, that there are standards of behaviour and particular skills which are valued. Hence, from childhood to maturity, one comes to contact with standards and values at home, at school, and the society from which they build the ideal self. So self-esteem then is the individual's evaluation of the discrepancy between self-image and the ideal self. And the the bigger that discrepancy, discrepancy the lower the self-esteem. I am very happy that Jenny was right <laughs> when she told us. Um, Tim says that's an amazing way of looking at it, isn't it? Isn't it? I had never thought about it before. I just kind of had always, up until that point, um, you know, this I, w- I was 19 when I heard this idea for the first time in, in one of my lectures. I just kind of, I thought a lot about self-esteem because I had, I was acting professionally. Um, and, you know, y- you read a lot uh, when you study acting, you read a lot about the self-esteem of actors. And there are lots of theories about how those of us who go into the performing arts do so um, because we lack self-esteem and we are looking for that recognition from the audience, um, I have no opinions on whether or not that is true. That is not something I'm going to get into today. Um, and so I just kind of assumed it was just how you felt about yourself. And it wasn't until um, I sat in this lecture and and I thought about how we do have this idealized version of ourselves. Um, as an actor, I have this idealized version of me as an actor. As a writer, I have this idealized version of me as a writer. And of course, as a teacher, I have this idealized version of me as a teacher. And then there are the ways that I perceive my reality, how I perceive myself to be in those different roles. And absolutely, you know, obviously, the closer you are to what you think is the ideal, The closer you are to your best self, the higher your self-esteem is going to be, because you think then that you are succeeding. It kind of ties back to what we were saying at the beginning about success. People do want to succeed, I think. I think generally human beings do have this desire to be good at what they're doing. Lawrence's study also introduces into the mix this idea of self-concept that I'd not heard before I read this. And it says self-concept is an umbrella term uh, that means the sum total of an individual's mental and physical characteristics and his or her evaluation of them. And there are three aspects to that self-concept, the cognitive, the affective, and the behavioral. Further, it goes on to say, self-concept is an awareness of own self. It's the umbrella term where the self-image, the ideal self, and self-esteem develop. So there's quite a nice diagram um, in James's paper about this, where you have self-concept right at the top, branching off from that you have self-esteem and ideal self, so it looks a bit like a family tree, Uh, sorry, you have self-image and ideal self branching off so it looks like a family tree, and then you've got self-esteem as the gap between those underneath. And I really like that. I really like that as an idea. So we know now what self-esteem is. But why is it important? Is the next question. Why do we prioritize self-esteem? Why do we feel that we need it? If we go back to Mind's definition of self-esteem, their, their article carries on and says, your self-esteem can affect whether you like and value yourself as a person, are able to make decisions and assert yourself, recognize your strengths and your positives, feel able to try new things or difficult things, show kindness towards yourself, move past mistakes without blaming yourself unfairly, take the time you need for yourself, Believe that you matter and are good enough, and believe that you deserve happiness. And I sat with these things for a little while while I was planning this show. And I thought, yeah, actually, those points where my self-esteem is low, for whatever reason. Because that's the other thing about self-esteem, is that we kind of think of it as a fixed stage. You know, we will say, oh, that person has high self-esteem, oh, that person has low self-esteem. But it's not. It's in flux. Based on a whole range of factors that we will talk about a little bit later. And it's why, you know, when you're asked to introduce yourself, you know, I would say, oh, my name is Darren, I live in Gloucestershire, I'm a teacher, blah, blah, blah. But I would never say, oh, I'm a person with high self esteem. Wouldn't even occur to me because my self esteem is always changing. And I know that when I'm in a period of lower self esteem, I do find decision making particularly difficult. I don't want to try new things because my assumption is that I will fail. I don't move past mistakes. I don't take any time for self-care. I don't believe that I deserve to be happy. You can get yourself into a bit of a loop. Now, obviously there are other things that these, um, these criteria can be indicative of. You know, there are all sorts of depression, anxiety, um, obsessive compulsive disorders that also manifest in this way. So I am going to say that if you are listening to this show and you are um, relating to any of that, uh, but you don't think it's necessarily a self-esteem issue, then absolutely speak to your doctor about what it could be. You know, because it might be that your doctor is just saying, "Okay, yes, this is self-esteem. Let's do something with it. It might be that your doctor says to you, oh, no, this is something more. Let's treat it. So that's why self-esteem is important, because it impacts your sense of value of yourself as a person. And I'm here to tell you that you do matter as a person. If you are currently going through a low self-esteem episode, you might not believe me. But I'm a teacher, so I'm right. <laughs> and so it is important, I think, to work on our self-esteem. And again, when we are going through a high self-esteem period, I'm going through a high self-esteem period right now, I, I recognize that now because of that kind of checklist. It's easy to see that. And it's easy to go, yes, I do deserve to be happy. Yes, I do deserve to take time for myself. Or I know a friend of mine doesn't like to use the term deserve. Um, because he says that it um, it makes us sound like we've earned it and, and we don't earn these things we don't earn the right to be happy we don't earn the right to believe that we are a good person they are things that we should have just by virtue of being alive and it's much harder to see that it's much harder to to, to recognize that you should have those things when you feel like you failed when you feel like you've done a bad job, when you feel like you've let somebody down. So I think, and this is something that I certainly will do, um, I'm actually gonna print off that list. And I'm gonna have it in a couple of different places. I'm gonna have it in my, in my home planner and I'm also gonna stick it into my teacher planner just to remind myself when I am going through a, a low self-esteem patch that all of these things are things that I should have I should like and value myself. I should make decisions. I should recognize my strengths. And it doesn't matter whether I feel like I've earned these things. It doesn't matter whether I feel like I deserve them. I should have them just because I'm a person. And it is my right as a person. It is my right just through my existence to have these things. So I was quite interested to look at that. Uh, because there is a quote underneath this list on the MIND website. Um, It doesn't attribute the quote, so I'm sorry that that I can't give a reference for it. But this person says, for me, building self-esteem was learning what self-esteem was in the first place. It was unlearning what I had learned about myself. I went back to self-school and I learned all about me. And it is about having that true picture of yourself, not marred by what other people say, flattery or critique, and understanding that gap, understanding that that gulf or that ditch, you know, depending on how big it is, between your current self and your ideal self, and then, like I said at the beginning of the show um, about people who will pronounce that we don't work hard enough, doing something about it. Because once again, It's all very well and good, recognizing if there is a problem, it's great to be self-aware enough to say, yep, I'm going through a patch of low self-esteem right now. It's a whole other thing, and it's much harder to turn around and say, this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Now, again, I hold my hands up because my friends who are listening will know that I'm being a massive hypocrite right now, (laughs) because I will quite often not do these things for myself and one of the things that i am loving about doing the show about being on Teach talk radio about connecting with teachers in this way about presenting myself as somebody who wants to engage with other teachers and help other teachers to live their best lives is that i need to do that for me i need to lead by example because why would you take advice on how to be your best self from somebody who isn't putting that into practice, from somebody who doesn't feel like he's trying to be his best self, in the same way that you wouldn't necessarily take business advice from somebody who had bankrupted their last four companies. So I am always just started raining quite heavily I just happen to look out of my window. I like the rain. I enjoy the rain. Anyway, it's good for my self-esteem when I recognise that the weather is going in the way that I like it. So that's why self-esteem is important. It's important for your sense of self. But if we want to look a bit more scientifically at it, self-esteem actually occurs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in case you don't know, is a pyramid with one, two, three, four, five segments that um, is supposed to encapsulate everything that we require as people, again, to function at our best, to live our best lives. Maslow's hierarchy of needs does go in and out of fashion depending on what the latest scientific thinking is, but because it does always loop round Um, I am going to refer to it here. So at the base of Maslow's Pyramid, again, this is in um, James's article that I will tweet out later. At the base of Maslow's Pyramid are your physiological needs. So breathing, food, water, shelter, clothing and sleep. The things you need to physically survive. Above that, safety and security. Health, employment, property, family and social stability. Above that comes love and belonging friendship, family, intimacy, and sense of connection. Above that, then, is self-esteem, confidence, achievements, respect of others, and the need to be a unique individual. That's how Maslow defines self-esteem. And above that, you have self-actualization, which is defined here as morality, creativity, spontaneity, acceptance, experience, purpose, uh, meaning, and inner potential. So Self-esteem is quite high in that hierarchy of needs. Now, obviously, the, the pyramid starts, as a pyramid does, at the base with the most important. So those physiological needs, the things that keep us alive, are the ones that are most important for our survival. And as we move up the pyramid, that is about us actualizing ourselves as people. So self-esteem is something that is required in order to be actualized as a person. Um, James says, in application to teaching and learning, if teachers and students see what they do, if students and teachers see what they do deserves praise, then they have no self-esteem problems in terms of their work, I will add. But if they see what they do is not worthy of praise or recognition, then they might have a low self-esteem problem. So again this is about perception it's about self-perception. Whether or not you get the praise is something a bit different and and I'll talk about that in a moment. but if you think that what you have done is praiseworthy, then that is indicative of quite high self-esteem. If you think that what you have done is not praiseworthy, then it might be an indicator of low self-esteem. Now I personally And again, this might be because I have low self-esteem, but I would say that if if you consider something not to be praiseworthy, then that kind of means that it's neutral, which indicates a neutral self-esteem, whereas if you felt that something is deserving of critique, then that is perhaps indicative of low self-esteem. But that's just me thinking aloud. Uh, James goes on to say, Um, If teachers, students, parents, administrators, all of us have positive self-esteem, then the following signs will be demonstrated. So we've got another tick list here that links into uh, the checklist that we had from mine. So we've got confidence, self-direction, non-blaming behavior. And I find that one very interesting because, again, if I sit with myself, if I interrogate my own personality, I do notice that I am more judgmental of other people during times that I am going through a low self-esteem period. And now that I know that those two things are linked, I can use that as a signpost to myself. I can turn around and say to myself, okay, I'm judging that person for something that doesn't need to be judged. What's going on with me? And there is, I is—I'm to I will come back to the list, but there is an inherent, I think, difficulty in lots of people of doing that inner work because a lot of people will say, well, why should I spend time doing that? Isn't it conceited to do that? Isn't it egotistical to center yourself in that way? And I'm gonna say that believing those things perhaps suggests that you have low self-esteem because if we go back to mind's list, then it suggests that you are not prioritizing taking the time you need for yourself because I want to take this time to interrogate what I'm doing so that I can be a better person. And perhaps we're not liking and valuing ourselves as people, because we are not looking at how we should, how we want to be the best person that we can be. Um, Going back then to this list, we have got an awareness of personal strengths, an ability to make mistakes and learn from them, an ability to accept mistakes from others, Again, I think that goes back to the non-blaming behavior, the judgment. Optimism, an ability to solve problems, an independent and cooperative attitude, feeling comfortable with a wide range of emotions, an ability to trust others, a good sense of personal limitation, good self-care and the ability to say no. So, again, all of these things that we see um, cropping up all the time in podcasts, on TV, in self-help books about how you should practise self-care. These are all self-esteem things. These are all um, positives of having higher self-esteem and ways that we can work on it. Um, the article goes on then to give eight uh, signs of low self-esteem, a negative view on life, a perfectionist attitude, mistrust of others, even those who show signs of affection, blaming behaviours, fear of taking risks, feeling of being unloved and unlovable, Uh, dependence, that is letting others make decisions, and fear of being ridiculed. So that actually is also quite a handy little checklist, because it's something that you can look at and go, okay, I'm feeling a lot of these behaviours, I'm I'm displaying a lot of these behaviours, I'm feeling a lot of these feelings, maybe I need to do some work, maybe I need to figure out why I'm going through a low self-esteem patch right now. So what can impact our self-esteem? What can move us from a place of feeling good about ourselves to a place of feeling poorly about ourselves? I asked this question on Twitter and I asked the other Teachers Talk radio hosts in our Slack um, what they thought and I had some quite interesting comments coming in. Oh, I have got a Oh, no, I had a caller. Um, Caller, if you would like to call in, you are more than welcome to. Um, I am very happy to discuss um, self-esteem with you. I would love to hear your views, but if you don't want to call in, that's absolutely fine. Similarly, if you are on the Podbean app, you can text in with your opinion. So what I was going to say was one of the biggest things that came out of my call, both on Twitter and in Slack, was the attitude or how... Teachers perceive the attitude of senior leadership. Um, I had a particularly sad story, uh, a particularly sad um, tweet sent to me um, which talked about here we go. I wanted to make sure that I got it right so I didn't do a disservice to the tweeter. Targeted bullying from SLT totally shatters self-esteem, is what the tweet said. And I agree completely. I agree completely. Hello, Uh, Ennio, nice to have you here with us today. I think that... How we are treated by the people immediately superior to us in our jobs does have a huge impact on our self-esteem for all sorts of reasons. I think the primary one, and again, we're going to go back to, I'm going to go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs here for a second, is that feeling uncertain from the people immediately above you, feeling uncertainty from the people who control your job, Take away that sense of safety and security, that second uh, layer of the pyramid, because if you feel that somebody doesn't trust you, if you feel that somebody who can terminate your employment doesn't rate you highly, you are going to be worried that that employment is will be terminated. you will be worried about being fired and In turn, because that's there in the hierarchy of needs, that will impact your self-esteem. I personally am very lucky in that my middle management and my senior leadership team are very supportive, I feel. And so in my current position, um, and actually in in the job that I had before this one, I at no point felt targeted bullying. However. I did go through a period where I felt that I was being targeted by the head of a primary school that I was working in. Um, I knew that she didn't like me on a personal level. She actually told me um, that she didn't like me. And that was fine because not everybody likes everybody. You know, I have have no, um, no problem with that. But because she didn't like me as a person, she always viewed my teaching through a very negative lens, always. And despite the fact that I was getting lots of praise, this was very early in my career, but despite the fact that I was getting lots of praise from my colleagues, and it was, I was not long out of university where I had got good reports for my, uh, my classroom practice, the fact that the head was telling me that she didn't like my practice and despite knowing that this was through the lens of her not liking me as a person that did very much impact how I viewed myself as a teacher. I started seeing myself as a bad teacher because that was the message that I was getting from the person in charge, from the person who, uh, by, all, uh, by all rights, was good enough to have progressed up to headship. And so for a long time, I, I believed those things that I was being told. I believe that I was a bad teacher and it has taken me quite a long time to get back to the point where I can sit down and think actually no I'm not I am a good teacher um you know it's taken a lot of conversations with with all of the leadership that I've had since then across a couple of schools and with students and with friends that I've helped with you know with qualifications and You know, to to be able to get myself even back to a base point of I'm an adequate teacher and then building on that. So I absolutely understand that when there are problems coming from above, that can have a massive impact on your self-esteem. I think if we are going as far as this tweeter did to call it bullying, then that is absolutely, it, it is clearly unacceptable and I would encourage, this goes around occasionally on Twitter, I would encourage anybody who feels that they are being bullied by a member uh, by a member of staff in their school to talk to somebody, talk to your line manager or their line manager if your line manager is the one being bullied, talk to your union, um, even just talk to other teacher friends and get advice from that because that is completely unacceptable. If you are a leader, it is important to make sure that you think very carefully about how you deal with your staff to make sure that you are not inadvertently negatively impacting their self-esteem. And again, you know, I'm teaching Granny to suck eggs here. I think everybody knows this. But, you know, it is about making sure when you are giving feedback on lesson plans, just like we would with kids, make sure that you are focusing on the positives and then framing anything that needs to be improved as an area for development, not as a weakness. Because you don't necessarily know that it's a weakness. But bullying negativity doesn't just come from higher up. Um, a few years ago I was, I was chatting to a teacher, it was an inset day, the very first day of school I was chatting to a teacher and she randomly decided that she would start commenting on my practice and everything that was wrong with what I was doing in my classroom and how she would have taught the lessons that I was teaching and it, it kind of came out of the blue, it came out of nowhere and I was quite shocked. By this,, uh, because this is a person who actually had not been teaching as long as me and was new to the school, and I kind of i I hadn't really had an in-depth conversation with her until this day when she decided that she would start criticizing me. And um because I was dumbfounded, i I like to think that I'm quite good with words, but I couldn't think of what to say. So my response to everything that she was saying was just, okay, Okay, okay. But as I was saying that, she was kind of getting more irate. Um, And and looking back on it now, it feels like she didn't like that I wasn't accepting her criticism. And that actually impacted how I felt about myself as a teacher for quite a long time, um, until relatively recently, truth be told. Uh, you know, until I started thinking very carefully about, about different things in my life and and where I was and was not going to to accept criticism. Because I do actually believe in accepting criticism. I think it's important to accept criticism. Um, but I heard an, an adage that I think changed my mindset, certainly towards that teacher. And it was, if you wouldn't go to somebody from advice, Uh, Sorry, if you wouldn't go to somebody for advice, you do not need to accept their critique. And I think that's true. And looking back on that teacher, she is not somebody who, if I were having a problem with a class, I would have gone to. So why did I let her completely unsolicited, unprovoked attack on my teaching get to me? And it is because a lot of my self-esteem is tied up in my practice. Like I said, I took a long time getting over the comments from that head to get back to a place where I was thinking, yes, I'm, I'm good at my job, I can do my job. But I'm not sure that those negative comments, particularly when they're sustained, ever go away. And I think there is quite often that, that underlying sense of, well, maybe I'm just lying to myself, maybe I just don't have the, the self-awareness to know that I'm doing a bad job so then when somebody asked and again this is not somebody who was above me but somebody you know we 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 performed the same same function our our contracts had the same job title was telling me that my my practice was wrong i went straight back to the the head teacher telling me that she didn't like me and that she didn't like my practice and again it took me a while it has taken me a while to get back to a place now where i'm just like okay i would not have asked that head teacher i would not have asked this teacher that i was having a random conversation with for advice so i'm not going to accept their critique and i do have to remind myself of that that is a conscious thing that i have to do but that falls into if we come back to what mine was saying it falls into liking and valuing yourself as a person Being able to make decisions and asserting myself, I can make that decision. I am not going to listen to your critique. I am not going to internalise your critique. If I think there is any truth about it, I will go to somebody I trust and ask their opinion. And then believe that you matter and that you are good enough. Because if you are being told often enough that you are not good enough, then that will impact your self-esteem. So we've got these internal attacks on our self-esteem. Possibly, uh, hello Hindosa. I hope that is. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly. Uh, great to have you in today. Please let me know if you've got any comments on self-esteem. Um, if you would like to join in the chat, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, if if we, we have got these these attacks coming at us from, the call is coming from inside the house, as it were, we've got other teachers either higher than us or on our, our same pay grade who think that they can comment on our practice in a negative way. We then also have the media because I think whatever country we are in right now most of the world does not have a high opinion of teachers teaching as a profession is not valued in many countries at the moment and again that will attack your self-esteem because if you are being told that as a teacher you are lazy if you are being told that you know summer holidays are coming to an end um, I'll go back to school in just under two weeks for my first inset day. Uh, but we are told that we have these really, really long summers, which, you know, is true, but people don't then take into account the fact that we've worked through these summers and that we are just gaining back the time that we have spent evenings, weekends, marking and planning and assessing and and everything that we do. It's kind of like gained time, if you like. We're being told that if we go on strike over fair pay, then we are doing a disservice to our students. And those poor kids are once again being used as, as leverage to, to, uh, so that people higher than us can get what they need, putting more pressure on them. We have lots of attacks coming from outside, from the media, from perception. And that can can influence our self-esteem because we're being told that this job that we are dedicating ourselves to, this job that we know we are working so hard in, is either um, not worth respecting or worse than that, not worth our abilities, because we all know the English idiom, those who can do, those who can't teach, which is appalling um, because it is obviously untrue because you can't teach something that you can't do. (laughs) So there is this ingrained negativity towards teaching within lots of cultures around the world that can also impact a teacher's self-esteem. So we've got possible negativity coming from inside school. We've got possible negativity coming from outside school and that's even before the pressures that we put on ourselves so there are all sorts of ways there are all sorts of ways that we can lose our self-esteem as teachers and again i'm talking now specifically about in the classroom because i think that you can i think that you can have high self-esteem as a person but low self-esteem as a teacher, I think they can be two separate things. But I think most of us don't separate them out. I think most of us do define ourselves by our profession. You know, somebody asks, oh, who are you? Please introduce yourself. My name is Darren. I live in Gloucestershire. I'm a teacher. It's almost like a script by now. And so if you are then being told that one of the things by which you define yourself, you are either not good at or is not worth doing, then that is going to impact that sense of self. So in his article, James goes on to talk about um, how teachers can enhance their self-esteem. We can't control how other people perceive our practice. We can't. The the teacher who, who wanted to critique me the head who didn't like me, through their lens, they were just being honest. They were telling their truth. That might not be the same as my truth. And it might not be the same as the truth of the kids who are in my classroom. But it is their truth. And if that's what they believe, I can challenge it. But I have no control over whether they change it in the same way that I am in control of the teaching in my classroom and I can facilitate the learning but I have no control over over whether that information actually is learnt, that is down to my students. So self-esteem, despite having all of these external attackers, all of these things that can negatively impact it, it is internal, it is about us and it is down to us to control. So. Uh, James in his article says um, it is vital for teachers to question how to enhance our self-esteem because if we want to gain or boost our self-esteem, we need to develop an attitude of accepting mistakes and planning on growing them. And one of those, one of those acceptances, one of those mistakes, we could say, is having low self-esteem because that's not the default, that's not how we're supposed to be. So we need to accept that that's the state that we are in. There is no way we can deny our mistakes and expect to grow, which again is true because if you are oblivious to the mistakes that you are making, you can't correct them. In the same way that if we don't mark the essays that our kids give us, they're not gonna know that it's wrong. You know, just doing the essay isn't improvement. Doing the essay and getting feedback is improvement. So, enhancement of low self-esteem, James says, could be realized if teachers affirm the following, I respect myself and others. And again, that's quite hard to do if you are internalizing lots of negative feedback from different sources. But what you can do is you can decide to tell yourself, I am a person, And so I am worthy of self-respect. And I do respect the fact that other people are entitled to their opinions of me. But it's down to me to choose whether or not I internalise those. It's down to me to decide whether I take that feedback on board. I am lovable and likeable. The vast majority of people, I would say 99.9% of the human population, have friends, have family that means that there is something within all of us that is likeable and lovable i am confident and it shows most of us have to be confident in the classroom you know you are sitting in front of 30 35 40 children you can't do that if you are not confident so just the fact that you turn up to work every day and deliver your lessons means that this is true i care about myself That may or may not be true, depending on where your self-esteem is at any given time. But if you tell yourself that, almost like a fake it until you make it mentality, tell yourself that you care about yourself, and then eventually that will be true. I am creating loving, healthy relationships. As teachers, we might want to, I would want to reword that slightly, because I would want to create loving, healthy relationships with my family and friends, but with my colleagues and with my kids, I might want to create um, respectful, healthy relationships, joyful, healthy relationships. I'm a good friend to myself and others. I accept myself just as I am. I look great. I like that that's in there because again as teachers one of the other things that we open ourselves up to critique of is how we dress like I said at the top of the show you know do we look professional have I tied my tie properly are my shoes shiny enough hello Grace it's lovely to have you with us um all the way from Ghana today I hope that you will find we've got about 10 minutes left of the show I hope that you find it interesting um so you know a lot of a lot of expectations are put around our appearance, rightly or wrongly, they are. So even just by affirming to yourself, you know, I'm wearing the clothes today that I want to wear within whatever constraints my school has, whatever um, is in the handbook about the the staff dress code, then that's good. And life is good, and I like being part of it. And again, that might not always be true. That might not always be how you feel. But quite often, if you can just, like I said, fake it till you make it, if you can tell yourself these things over and over, then that will help. Now, obviously, that is a little bit trite. That is a little bit um, self-helpy. And it's very easy to think these things when you are in a high self-esteem loop and forget them if you are being targeted by SLT, um, like the tweeter, who I spoke about earlier, or if you have just been told by a colleague that your practice is is not good enough. But making these things part of your identity means that all of this critique becomes less important because you are more self-aware and I think that, that self-esteem quite often is just about self-awareness, <clears throat> that we understand our own truths, that we know who we are as people, and that we are comfortable with that. Because as much as self-esteem is that gap between your perception of self and your idealized self, it's that perception that is most important. Because is not about how you actually are. It's not about how you objectively are, because that's very difficult to tell. You will be somebody's favorite teacher and you will also be the person whose class they dread just because they don't like your subject. And so it can be very difficult to have like an objective understanding of ourselves because so much is subjective. So if you have your perception of yourself and you are working on yourself to close that gap back towards your ideal self, then your self-esteem will improve. And I think taking that perception of yourself and, and telling yourself those those affirmations that I've just discussed, that will help to realign your mindset, to realign your perspective that then will raise your self-esteem and in when we have raised self-esteem we believe that we matter and are good enough coming back to to what mind has said we like and value ourselves as people and so then we can start to tackle any of these institutional problems we can start to tackle any of these issues of bullying in the workplace or negative perception from parents or whatever it might be that is impacting our self-esteem that is impacting how we feel about ourselves this is a huge topic this is a massive topic um and it's one that i was a bit wary of getting into i'm not a psychologist you know i'm not i'm not a doctor i'm a linguist so this, this isn't my wheelhouse at all. But one of the things that I enjoy about doing my show, about having breakfast with you all on Saturday morning, um, about going into schools and talking to other teachers, is the fact that I can think about my idealised self. How do I want to be as a teacher? I can think about my perception of self. How do I see myself right now? And I can close that gap by doing the research. I can close that gap by deciding that this is what my show is going to be about. This is what my my paper is going to be about and doing that research. And in doing the research for the show today, I have learned so much about self-esteem. And I have learned so much more about how actually my self-esteem is down to me there is a lot that i can do to enhance my self esteem just by recognizing where i feel um i am being judged where i feel those attacks on my self esteem are coming from and how i react to them how i respond to them and that's not you know telling a kid sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me you know it it's not that kind of um lack of of consequences way of dealing with this it's for me about going you may think that you may have these ideas you may have these perceptions but the people in my life who are important to me the people in my school whose opinion matters do not have those perceptions and if they do i will work on them i will change those because then i will believe it's a problem and then working on myself as much as I need to because I am a person, I am alive, and so I deserve to have these positive things. I should have high self-esteem just by virtue of being around. And there we go. That is breakfast come to an end. Thank you so much to everybody who has texted in today. Thank you to Tim who engaged with us right at the beginning. I appreciated your thoughts as we were talking about what it is to graft. Thank you to Ennio and and Hindosa and Grace, who texted in to let us know that they were listening. Very much appreciate you listening in. Please do, if you've got any thoughts, uh, feel free over the week to tweet me at Mr. D. Lester and don't forget to hashtag uh, TeachTalkRadio so that we can carry on this conversation before I join you again for breakfast next Saturday. Please do stick around uh, because Flora is opening up a Twitter space for us at 11. So in half an hour, Um, stick around and listen to what she has to say. And I will be back with you for breakfast next Saturday. Have yourselves a fantastic week. Thank
0: you very much for listening.